Latanya Wilkins is an author, speaker, and the founder of The Change Coaches, an organization that works with corporate leaders and their teams to create cultures of belonging in their workplaces. Latanya says this includes the psychological safety of staff. It's being able to bring your whole self to work without any repercussions. It's it's leaders creating uh, relationships with people so they don't they're not fearful if if something personal happens in their life or if they need to do something that is is not exactly what the company wants but you have safety in order to talk about things that are difficult to talk about and you you basically have permission to talk about those things on this episode of run it like a girl latanya talks about her book leading below the surface and she outlines the three biases of the workplace including confirmation bias you might hire someone bonnie and it's someone that you're not really fond of hiring but the organization wants you to hire the person for many different reasons that you may or may not agree with maybe week two that person drops the ball on a project and you say, Bonnie, I told you so. I told you so. I told you that this person was not the right person. That's confirmation bias. You're waiting for something to go wrong. Latanya also talks to us about the effects of the pandemic on the workplace. And she dispels some false narratives, including the belief that most people now want to work remotely from home. I would tell you that there are a lot more people who actually prefer a hybrid work environment than any other kind of work environment. So I I know very few people that want to work from home 100% of the time. Some do, great, but I will tell you that the majority of people I talk to, they want some sort of hybrid situation and they want to choose. Author, speaker, and coach LaTanya Wilkins on this episode of Run It Like a Girl. So today, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to chat with my guest, who is LaTanya Wilkins, who is the founder of The Change Coaches, president of the True Star Youth Foundation Board, and an author whose book is coming out this October, and it's called Leading Below the Surface. LaTanya, thank you so much for joining me for an episode today. I'm very excited about it. Thank you, Bonnie, for having me. Oh, I'm really excited. And I think partially because I just... I'm fascinated by kind of your expertise and where, where you, where you play and that kind of uh, creating an inclusive culture and inclusive leadership, because I think more than ever, especially during the times that we're in now, inclusive leadership is so important. So I thought maybe we could just start with you telling us a bit about your background and your kind of early career. Yeah, so I'll keep it short. So, so my background has been mainly I would say a conventional corporate career up to probably five years ago. So I got an MBA. I started doing recruiting at first. I didn't like it. So that's when I went back to business school. And then I ended up working in progressive roles at Fortune 500 companies and consulting firms. I always knew when I was at those companies, I never felt, I always knew I didn't fit in. I never felt like I fit. Uh, I was working in talent and leadership development And so I was on the front lines of seeing a lot of people being othered that uh, didn't fit the male leadership standard. I talk about this in my book. There were certain things that you had to be in order to fit in and be promoted in organizations. And you could have been that that one person that broke through, but you still had to follow that blueprint. And so I knew throughout my career, I was going to 
one day disrupt this blueprint because I was kind of sick and tired of it. And so I, one of the last leadership development jobs I had in corporate, uh, it was it was just not fulfilling me anymore. So that's when I, I went and worked in a business school at the Geese College of Business at the University of Illinois. And I was doing culture work there. And, and from there, that's when a lot of different things started happening. You know, I started teaching, I started writing my book, I ended up uh, becoming coach and officially and and kind of using all that, bringing all that together and making something of it. So that's what I do now is creating cultures of belonging. That's amazing. And I think that's so interesting. And um, something that I imagine is is on the minds of most corporations in uh, around around the world, actually, especially now being in the middle of a, a pandemic where a culture of belonging is is even more is is even more difficult to create now that you're completely virtual. Um, I'm also from the corporate world, and I I just think it's so so fascinating uh, of a topic to talk about. And so I thought maybe if you could chat a little bit about you know how does an organization create create a culture of belongings? How do they take some of those barriers away and and make it really that it is an inclusive place uh, for everyone to be? Yeah, so I'll I'll talk about that from two different levels. First, I'll start with the level of me as a coach. So uh, 80% of my time I spend coaching leaders and teams to create cultures of belonging. And what that looks like is uh, usually I run these culture academies with them and I'll take them through um, some education around culture and belonging. And I'll also take them through some team coaching. And through that, we, we get a lot done. I mean, this is deep work. And um, I take them through the three prongs of belonging and leadership that I also mentioned in my book. One is empathy. So I talk about em- empathy. I talk about empathetic listening, two different types of listening, person-to-person listening, person-to-belonging listening. So they're working as a team and also within themselves. The second prong is psychological safety. I talk a little bit about psychological safety and how if you practice empathy and real leadership, which is the third prong, you're going to build psychologically safe relationships. Real leadership is the third prong, and real leadership is a term that that I talk about a lot in my book. And real leaders are reliable, they're equitable, aware, and loyal. And so those are the prongs. So it's 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 first off working as a team together to to kind of get a common ground, to kind of understand the leadership's purpose and diversity, equity, inclusion, and what are some of the common commitments. We also infuse OKRs into the organization's goals and into their unit goals. So that's number one, like me as a coach. And number two, if you really want to, if you're interested in this concept and you want to do it for yourself, I talk about it in my book. It's more of a self-coaching tool. And again, those prongs are empathy, psychological safety, and real leadership. So could we, would you mind digging into a little bit around the psychological safety aspect? Because I, I find that really yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, what's really cool is uh, Amy Edmondson, who is the professor that actually coined the term psychological safety, wrote my forward. And so it was really an honor to be, it was an honor to be endorsed by her in this way. And so I knew when I started writing the book that psychological safety was a big part of leading below the surface. And so psychological safety, when I talk about it in my book, it's being able to bring your whole self to work without any repercussions. It's, it's leaders creating 
uh, relationships with people so they don't they're not fearful if if something personal happens in their life or if they need to do something that is is not exactly what the company wants maybe they need to deliver bad news but you have safety in order to talk about things that are difficult to talk about and you you basically have permission to talk about those things and so and I talk about this a lot where you can't get you can't achieve psychological safety if you're not an empathetic or real leader. So a lot of this must be around building trust, because I know like that's not something you can just one day decide that you're going to do you because you, if you've already lost the trust of your of your team or your employees, there's a lot of work that must be done to kind of build that trust up. So how, um, how do you approach kind of like a first conversation with someone that's been leading an organization that maybe hasn't taken this approach to inclusive belonging, but now want to? Like, how do they really start that process when maybe they've unfortunately eroded trust with their employees? Yeah, so one of the things that I pride myself on is that I'm – approachable and non-judgmental in my approach. And so I, I have all my leaders look different for me. They, oh, many of them, I would say 80% of the people I coach look and feel different from me. Um, and so that happens quite a bit where people come and they say, hey, I want to do this right this time. And what I do is, Bonnie, I help them find their place in this. I think that what, so I hate, I hated diversity, equity, inclusion for some time. Because I felt like everything was very calculated. You had everything was very performative, and everyone had to like check a bunch of boxes in order to be taken seriously around this. And so, what I do is with the leaders that, that I coach, I help them find their place in this. You know, we help. I help them find if they're, for example, a, a finance leader, and they're thinking, "Well, I can't really have a huge effect on this." Yes, you can. I mean, there's many different goals that you can have in your organization, ranging from hiring, ranging from you know, partnering with minority-owned businesses. I mean, there's so many different ways or so many different ways that you can, you can do this. Uh, partnering with other corporate partners that, again, may be underrepresented businesses. So again, I help them find their place in this. So that's the first thing. And then we focus on how they're treating people. So I'm, not, I'm finding that organizations aren't having a hard time hiring. Some are. But a lot of organizations are focused just there. But then when the people get in the door, it's terrible. So that's why I focus on, you know, how are they treating people? And I help them. Again, I don't tell them what their biases are. But through coaching, I, I help them. I help that be revealed so they can see that they're leaving people out. Um, for example, top of mind, a lot of my leaders, when they're thinking about, um, you know, who to call when they're in an emergency it, top of mind, I help them realize they're calling guys that just look just like them. And then they, they have this breakthrough moment and they're like, wow, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, those are those are the informal contacts that you have. So, yeah, so that's that's a little bit of, of a little bit of a taste of of how I go about this. That's so interesting. And I like how you say top of mind, um, because, you know, uh, I've I've kind of read a bit about this and, and and I'm just interested in this topic. But it's so true. Right. Like people it's even like. If you lead a team, you top of mind are the people that can get things done for you quickly. So oftentimes mm -hmm. you don't give the other people a chance because you don't know them as well or they don't work the same way as you or they have a different way of doing things. So I really like that um, kind of philosophy of, of really thinking through. I think, I think that's fantastic. Now, 
I'd like to ask, um, in your views, how has the pandemic affected workplace culture and what do you th- see happening over the next year as, as businesses open more up and like, how do you see that playing out? It's all over the place, honestly. You know, it's funny because there's this narrative out there that everybody wants to work from home. And if you don't allow your employees to work from home, you're a terrible company. And there's another narr- there's other narratives out there that say that, you know, we're never going back to the office. And I don't, none of those are true. I mean, there's a happy medium there. Uh, I would tell you that there are a lot more people who actually prefer a hybrid work environment than any other work, kind of work environment. So I, I know very few people that want to work from home 100% of the time. Some do great, but I will tell you that the majority of people I talk to, they want some sort of hybrid situation and they want to choose. So through these situations, the number one trend that I've seen happen is that people are talking about their personal lives more at work. I'm not, they, they have to, they're forced into it. I'm not saying that workplaces are more inclusive because of it or people belong more because of it, but they have to do it. They've been forced to, into these situations where they're having to talk about this. The other thing, um, I don't know if you saw this, but LinkedIn released a study recently. It was a survey. And even though people are talking more about their personal lives at work, they're still feeling like there's a taboo of working from home, where they're working from home is not working as hard. So there's a lot of complex things going on here. Again, I think there's a lot of narratives out there that are not true. But I will say one thing that is true is that people have had to bring their personal lives to work. They can't hide who they are anymore. Um, they can't hide. They can't hide things about their children. They can't hide things about their spouses. They can't hide things about their homes. Nothing. All that stuff is is all one. And I think a, a lot of people weren't comfortable with that at first, but. Now we've gotten used to it. So I'm hoping that as a workplace that we're more and more accepting of, of that as time moves on. I think I think that's very interesting, too. And I, I agree with you because I think, you know, just people, coworkers, whoever I talk to about what they hope for when we return to work. Um, I don't know that anyone has ever said to me, I want to work from home five days a week and I just want to stay home. Right. But what they also say is it's not really about uh, going to do their work in an office. It's about all those connections that they get to make while they're in the office, the impromptu coffees, the the conversations that you run into someone in the kitchen and all of that. It's such a huge part of work culture and such a part that has just kind of disappeared over the year. And I could say from my own experiences, my company, I'm with a new company now and, it, and, and they've been awesome and amazing, but it's really different starting a new job in a completely virtual world. And there's more effort that goes into trying to navigate the, the organization and, and how to meet people um, because it's it, at that point, as a new employee, it's not a, a, a level playing field. So I think right. inclusive belonging and leadership is so important in this new kind of model of a hybrid work environment. Um, so you also talk about kind of three biases that hold people back in their own lives and workplace. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, I just I started talking about one when I mentioned you know exploring your networks and, and finding that your networks are extremely biased and homogenous. That's affinity bias. So first off, the first one is a big one, affinity bias. And that's bias where we surround ourselves with people who are similar to us that may have similar they may have went to similar schools, they may have a similar lifestyle, like maybe you maybe mothers hang out with mothers and mothers want to promote other mothers at work, or, you know, maybe there's a similar 
type of sport that you play. So that's the first thing. So affinity bias can can be as trite as, you know, this playing the same video games, right? It's like, it, it can be as, as, as trite as that. So that's affinity bias. We all ex- experience it. I experience it. We all do, right? We get excited when there's people like us and that's how humans are wired. And I talk about this a lot in the book. I am not trying to tear anyone down. It's just what it is. The next one is confirmation bias. So, and I see this a lot in the workplace where you might hire someone, Bonnie, and it's someone that you're not really fond of hiring, but the organization wants you to hire the person for many different reasons that you may or may not agree with. Maybe week two, that person drops the ball on a project and you say, Bonnie, I told you so. I told you so. I told you that this person was not the right person. That's confirmation bias. You're waiting for something to go wrong. I find this a lot when people hire people that are different from them. They might have went to a different school or they might perceive them as not being as smart or they might not perceive them as being the top candidate, best candidate. That's something that's terminology people use. And if as soon as that person has one mess up, then they're upset. So that's another one, confirmation bias. The third one is in-group bias. And in-group bias is a really important one to know about because it's very risky to be in. And we we could we see this in a lot of, if we see it in a popular culture, we see it in political environments. But what happens is that we have empathy, a higher empathy or a higher um, capacity of empathy towards people who are in the same in-groups as us. So again, if you think about that affinity bias, right, and you, you develop this group of people and that group of people, something bad happens to them, we're going to have more empathy for that group than we would for people that we consider in the out group. That creates an us versus them mentality. This happens all the time. It's happening to all of you that are listening right now, even though you don't want to accept it, it's, it's happening. And so I'm telling you this because I don't want you to feel like I'm attacking you. I'm, I don't want you to, you to feel like I'm, I'm, I'm punishing you, but I want you to know that this is the nature of human behavior. That's so fascinating. And um, I think it's really interesting. So I imagine the first part of kind of trying to break some of this down is understanding exactly what you just said and really forces people to look inwards and say, okay, well, who are my, who is my network? Um, do you do, I'm just curious, uh, so do you do kind of like network mapping? Like how do you go about getting people to understand the kind of biases that they have? Yeah, so I, I do a lot of times in my keynotes and in my talks, even in team coaching sessions, I'll have people write down the top 10 people on their, that they've called over the last month and you know called the most over the last month. And that's really revealing. I'll also have them write down the top five people that they call when it's an emergency at work or when they really need advice at work. So I, I, I have them start that way because, again, I want to create some, some awareness, some powerful awareness that, that, they, that their networks are biased and they're homogenous. If I go in and I tell them that, I'm not a coach. I'm an advisor. So I, as a coach, I want to, to ask provocative questions. I want to be a guide so they can see that for themselves. And so, yeah, I, I do some network mapping. After that, I do a lot of stakeholder analyses with, with my clients as well. But at f- first, I want them to have that realization that they, they, all their network looks the same. 
So for anyone listening, get a piece of paper and, and, and do just that. Write down the fi- last five people you talked mm-hmm. to. Is there, and, and what does that look like? And, and the last people that you invited onto a project or gave like a new challenge yeah. to, right? Because I do find, and I have experienced that, right? That um, people tend to give opportunities to the same people over yep. and over again. Yep. So I think that's really interesting. And everyone could use the opportunity to start thinking more about that, to try to build those inclusive networks. So my, my next question is uh, basically, if you could go back to when you first started your career and were able to sit down with yourself and have lunch, what kind of conversation would you have? What would the advice be? Yeah, so there was advice that I was given a lot when I was younger in my career, and I just thought it was really fluffy. Uh, I, I think it was because I was I was surrounded by people, again, who fit into the dominant leadership standard I talk about in my book, the whole competition over collaboration, the whole speed, the whole efficiency, like all that kind of stuff. And I remember the advice I kept getting is give and don't expect anything in return. And when I, when I started my business, I finally did that. And I, I gave, I did not expect anything in return. And I will tell you that um, if I would have had that conversation with myself a long time ago and said, Latanya, really believe in this, I would, my business would have grown even faster than it is now, which is crazy to think about. But it's uh, right now when you, I have so many people that I helped and it meant so much to them. And they, they just reach out to me and tell me that. And then they're, they're ready to do a big deal with me because of that. And sometimes I don't even remember the person. <laughs> They'll say, hey, you did this for me or you came here and you, you did a talk for us. And I, I did a lot of that in my first year when I was first launching my business. So that's another thing. So if, if there's any listeners out there and you're launching a business, that's the best advice I would give you. I mean, it's advice I give to my younger self is to give and do not expect anything in return, especially in your first one or two years of business. I think that's great. Um, I think that's great advice. And, uh, and it's paying you back right now <laughs> that you, that you did that. Um, because I, yeah, I think that's great. So that kind of brings us to the end of our formal questions, but now we have a part that we call the fast three. It's how we get like, uh, some inspiration for our, our listeners, something they might want to read, something to listen to. Um, so I'm going to ask you three questions and uh, just interested in your answers. So the first one is, what is your favorite podcast or source of information? So I will say my favorite podcast is anything by Wondery. So I listen to a lot of Wondery podcasts. Uh, that's one of the ways that I, I get, that I kind of relax and unwind. So I, I'm kind of trying to go lighter on the business podcast. I also love sci-fi, anything to do with sci-fi. So may not be the answer that you want, but I'm, I'm trying to kind of separate a little bit with my podcast listening. I think that's awesome because the podcast I listen to very rarely have to do with business. Um, okay. I, I love, I love crime. I love, uh, yeah. I love celebrity Wonder. interviews and, and directors yeah. and all of that kind of things. I have a couple yeah. that I listen to for the sake of trying to learn something. But for the most part, when I'm listening to podcasts, it's about like, I just want to chill and I want to relax and I want right. to like do something, um, that has nothing to do with what I do every day. <laughs> so I get that. So I think that's a perfect answer. Um, so what are you currently reading? 
Yeah, so the, the book I'm reading in an in interest of science fiction, it's called The Parable of, of the Sower by Octavia Butler. So Octavia Butler, many of you probably know her. She's a renowned Black author, Black woman author that wrote a lot of award-winning science fiction books. So I'm reading her, probably her most popular book right now. I'm kind of going back to it. I got, got into a science fiction craze. So I'm back to reading her books again. Ah, very cool. So science fiction podcasts and books. So that's a genre that you yeah. really like that, I'm guessing. I really <laughs> like that. Yeah. That's awesome. I got I to gotta lighten up a little bit because like, <laughs> it can get a little depressing sometimes <laughs> when you're watching it. So yeah, I got to find some. If anybody has any suggestions of sci-fi that's a little bit more optimistic, please let me know. Awesome. That would be great. And this isn't one of the questions, but I'm just curious. Is that you're kind of like if you watch TV or movies, is that your preferred genre there as well? Yeah, yeah. I w- the last one, the last show I watched was The Leftovers on HBO. So that was uh, sci-fi. My favorite show that I've watched when, w- during the pandemic was The 100. I love that show. Yeah, so that's, that was, we yeah. watched that as well. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah we yeah. watched it. We watched it beginning to end. So uh, yeah, it's a great one. On to the next yeah. one now. But uh, and the last, uh, the last question is: Who is currently inspiring you? You know, I will say right now, I'm feeling inspired by the world and my team and I'm feeling, and my clients, I'm feeling like we're really starting to do the real work to, to treat each other better. And it's, and for the first time, I mean, I would say even a year, maybe two years ago, um, I was doing some empathy interviews with some executives. And uh, this was after George Floyd and some of them teared up. And uh, I don't think that would have happened before where people could really get vulnerable. And so I'm starting to be inspired by that. But at the same time, there's still a lot of work to do. I'm, I'm still, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm still skeptical on many levels. Like when, it, when I was listening to the radio the other day, I heard that we just like America just got their first governor of the state of New York. That's a woman. And that is crazy. And like, there's too many firsts still. Uh, so until if these first end, I, I still going to be cautiously optimistic and mostly skeptical, I guess. Skeptic optimism, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I didn't realize that, that, uh, I mean, I'm not sure that Canada is, is much better in that regards in terms of we have a lot of firsts happening up here as well. Um, but uh, I feel that. I agree with that. I feel a, a sense of change that may be greater than it was before all the events and George Floyd and everything that happened over the last last year. I think that's awesome. Uh, Latani, I just want to say... Thank you so much for taking time. I know you're you're incredibly busy and you have your book coming out and you have lots going on, but it means a lot to me that you took time to come and talk with me and and provide our liter- our listeners with uh, with your your great perspective on things. So thank you for joining me for an episode. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Run It Like a Girl is hosted by Bonnie Moak. Brian Long is the producer. Web design and technical assistance provided by Dan Moak. And music courtesy of the talented Brooklyn Gillichuk.